A spiritual awakening is taking place around the globe, and you can be a part of it. For the first time ever in human history, we are truly one world. And now we must face the implications of what that means for our understanding of spirituality, the nature of reality, and one another. As a direct descendant of the founding families of one of today's largest global religions, I was born in the center of a worldwide spiritual crisis. Like my pioneer ancestors, I'm blazing a new trail, embracing a global sense of spirituality based on personal practice, spiritual community, and direct experience of the divine. I'm Benjamin William Decker. Welcome to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. Some of you may know that Marianne Williamson has been a huge part of my career and my spiritual journey. I first discovered her when she was running for Congress in Los Angeles and completely fell in love with her and her mission. And so when she ran for president, I dropped everything I was doing to support her presidential campaign. Uh, She says spirituality and politics are like Romeo and Juliet. They're really meant for each other, but their families try to keep them apart. So if you're like me, you're a modern spiritual practitioner with a deep desire to be a part of the global spiritual political awakening. You've got to check out Transform with Marianne Williamson, the new Substack newsletter. Receive updates on global issues from a spiritual perspective, along with tools to support your personal spiritual journey, all created and curated by spiritual teacher and political activist Marianne Williamson. Subscribe today at mariannewilliamson.substack.com. I just got back from a week-long silent retreat with none other than Deepak Chopra. And I have to say, that man continues to amaze. His ability to merge leading-edge science with the ancient teachings of world spiritual traditions, had me on the edge of my seat every single time he spoke. I'm also a huge fan of the Chopra certification programs. Check it out if you want to deepen your well-being practices and develop techniques to teach others. You totally need one of the super prestigious Chopra certifications. If you're like me and love meditation, why not master meditation and learn how to give others their own personalized primordial sound mantra with the Chopra Meditation Teacher Certification? Or take a deep dive into Ayurveda, the centuries-old proven health and healing system with the Chopra Health Certification. Uh, Maybe you'd like to help others thrive and find purpose with a mind-body-spirit approach. Then the Chopra Coaching Certification is for you. Get certified, grow your practice, grow yourself. Register today for a Chopra Global Online Certification at chopra.com slash certifications. And I have to say, I love the team at Chopra Global. They're really like soul family for me. So make sure to let them know that Ben Decker sent you and they'll take really good care of you. And again, that's chopra.com slash certifications. You will not regret it. Hey there, it's Ben Decker. Thank you for listening to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. We've got a powerful show today, and I have to provide something of a trigger warning that in this episode, we do address trauma, 
sexual abuse, childhood abuse, and healing and overcoming from these things. Really powerful stuff. My guest is an award-winning actress and actually an award-winning philanthropist as well. A dear friend of mine, her name is Annalyn McCord. We first met working in the field of modern-day abolition through a network of anti-human trafficking organizations. Annalyn is so much more than a pretty face. She's wise, powerful, humble, hilarious, insightful, and she's been working with survivors of sex trafficking for over a decade. You may know her from hit TV shows such as Nip Tuck, 90210, Dallas, and most recently Power Book 3, Raising Canaan. I could keep going on. She's been in a ton of movies and TV shows, and she's the founder of The Love Storm, a mass meditation initiative aimed at raising the collective energy against slavery of the mind and the body. Please welcome Anna Lynn McCord. You know, we met originally through working in anti-human trafficking work. Um, And then we sort of found each other again through spirituality and meditation. And um, I think it's so interesting because for me, those things are directly connected. The path of the bodhisattva, the altruistic work, all those things intimately connected. And I, I know it's the same for you. Super grateful to have you here, making time in your busy filming schedule. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> We've known each other for what I mean, thirteen years. Is something it something like that? Years, something yeah. like that. And it's it's interesting because I don't think that I could know you. Like I knew you. I met the person, the body. I shook hands with the body. My hand shook Ben Decker's hand. But I think that until I could know myself. I couldn't know what you were bringing to this world and to this planet in such a beautiful, profound and graceful way. And I think, and gracious way. And I think that as I have seen my own existence with more compassion and more kindness, I've been able to actually know you and re-meet you, but meet you in, in a way where I could see you, see me, see you and vice versa, the namaste of it all, right? Acknowledging yeah. that divine light, that it has to be within me to see it in you and to see it in you. It has to, you know, that whole, that whole little circle there. So it's kind of amazing to now be where, where this energetic alignment has happened in our dynamics. And we're both very aligned. <laughs> We've always had things that we were doing that were in alignment. We both have such a, such a heart for a mission on this earth that we feel we came here to do something that's bigger than us. And, and I think that a lot of people can relate to that or are looking for that aspect of themselves to relate to because there's this sense of meaning that's derived from it that we all ultimately are existentially asking ourselves, why the hell am I here? (laughs) Right. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to have a version of, an answer to that lovely question and know that it's always evolving and always transforming, but you meet people on the path and you don't exactly know why or what or for what for. And then it's like, bam, it clicks one day and it's like, Oh, that's why I met you. Right. (laughs) I feel like that's us. Yeah, definitely. You know, in, in all my different teachings and everything that I do, I often talk about how there's 
an exoteric understanding of reincarnation, which is I was in that body, I died, and I reincarnated into this body. Um, but then there's an esoteric teaching on on reincarnation, which is actually a teaching for us to understand unity better. So when we look into the eyes of another person who's in different circumstances than us, maybe a different gender, different race, all different circumstances, we can love them because we have a more intimate understanding of this idea that in another life, I could have had those same circumstances, you know. So the the experience, you know, anyone who's done psychedelics or ayahuasca or anything like that, we get that dose of unity consciousness, that one little dose of, whoa, I'm connected to everything. And I have felt that the exoteric teaching of reincarnation is actually a way of sort of training the mind and training the heart, really, to that unity consciousness, that relatability to all other sentient beings and all other life. That whole idea of like, well, reincarnation is really, you know, that whole academic idea like goes out the window with you for me because I have this sense, um, this like friendship with you where from the very beginning. Sense time. Yeah, exactly. The same for me. And, and so it, it sort of like eliminates this, like, well, reincarnation is really a symbol for unity consciousness. <laughs> and it makes me think, well, actually, I think Annalyn and I were like homies. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, it's so interesting. On Netflix, there is a, a documentary or a film or something that came out last year mm-hmm. called Surviving Death. Yes. It was done so well. Did you see it? It was done so well to to tackle these topics. But one of the things that you find that's so curious is how opposed Western culture is to the idea of reincarnation and how it's just a normal way of life in Eastern cultures. Like it's literally like, oh yeah. So, you know, my grandmother came back as my child and like, it was this really, you know, she had the same mole and the same, and then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Totally normal. And I, you know, I know you've traveled the world. I've spent so much time in Asia in Mm -hmm. Cambodia. And I mean, like the affinity that I have for that country, the love I have for its people and the deep, personal desire I have to save its children or be a part of saving its children. It's like, come on y'all. Like right. I'm not just a like saintly human. Like, <laughs> I mean, I try, I do my best, but I got my dualistic nature. I, I have a connection there. There's right. something that's relevant to me. And, and I have, you know, as I've gone deeper and as you said, experienced things that, that have opened my mind to the possibility of, and that's my biggest thing. It's like, okay, shut it down for sure. Once you've tried it, right. once you've lived it, once you've felt it, once you've experienced it, shut it down. If it, mm-hmm. if it doesn't work for you, shut it off, shut it down, shut it out. But right. don't come to me with your dogmas when you've never tried it, you've never experienced it. You don't even know anyone who sees it that way or believes it that way. Maybe, maybe there are things you don't know. Like, for example, in 1950, most people in the 1950s, I'm going to go out on a limb and maybe just say all people in the 1950s had no idea that Apple was going to have iPhones and we were going to use them to FaceTime with each other around the world. 
Right. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that Zoom wasn't a concept in 1952. Um, right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I there there are things we don't know are possible that end up being possible. Right. So why live in this world and and this beautiful, incredible, amazing world with your with your blinders on, not seeing mm-hmm. half of even the the potentiality. I mean, that for me was difficult growing up because I grew up, and you know this, but right. for the sake of listeners, I grew up in an extremely conservative household, and it was sheltered, and it was conservative, and it was deeply religious from a legalistic standpoint mm-hmm. that was about mm-hmm. suppression, that was about subjugation, that had nothing to do with what Yeshua and, you know, Jesus Christ was speaking and teaching mm-hmm. and giving to us in, 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 in those terms. And this was a Christian based faith that right. I was raised in. And it, it was, it lacked all Christianity, everything I was taught. I mean, I wasn't allowed to braid my hair because somewhere in the old Testament, girls of Zion plaited their hair and they were whores and harlots. And, wow. and it was just so, it was so painstakingly painful and mm-hmm. so painstakingly human mm-hmm. to take something divine and distort it and taint it and paint over it with all of our little tiny fears and our dualistic nature and this need, this obsessive need to perform. You talk about a loving God and then you preach fear. I don't understand you. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, love and fear can't be in the same place at the same time. It's like light and darkness when, when when ones, they can't be there together. Um, I want to just ask. So, a lot of people have seen you in a lot of different movies, uh, a lot of different TV shows. You're, I think, possibly best known for playing Naomi Clark in 90210. Yes. Um, and, uh, and you're also, you're filming a show right now, Raising the Canaan. Power, the Power Franchise, yeah. And so tell us a little bit about how a conservative Christian girl who couldn't braid her hair became, <laughs> became a movie star. Like, what's that journey like? Like, take well, us into that a little it's bit. It's called Rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. It's mostly called Rebellious. I rebelled against everything because it, it didn't it, it didn't strike me as authentic. Right. I saw hypocrisy everywhere I went, specifically with the ones teaching the teachings. Mm-hmm. They were also abusing children sexually. I was one of them. I was one of them. So, mm-hmm. so in our community, we had these sexual predators who are standing on street corners, screaming at people that they're going to go to hell, which is just the best way to reach someone, you know, just tell me that I'm going to go burn in hell, yell and spit in my face. And Oh my God. Yes. What are you believing in? I want, I want that. I want your miserable existence. You know, I always thought that was so interesting that people would actually stand on street corners when right at the Lord's prayer, in the Bible, it says, don't be like the hypocrites uh, who want to pray on street corners and be seen of men. It's like right yes. there. It's literally, know? it's actually in black and white. Um, <laughs> I know. It's, it's in their own book. Remarkably, hysterically terrifying. Okay, so um, you were a rebellious yeah. teen, which I, I relate to. I was rebellious to an extent. If I if I get my details right, you had made a million dollars by like age twenty three or something like that. 
That's very true. I went from a trailer park to having become, you know, was never, I was never going to do this. Like it was a pipe dream. And I was like, screw y'all I'm doing this. Um, but I, I became a millionaire by the time I was 23 and in the world that's seen as, Oh my God, you're a success. Dear. I, I very loosely use the word success in my life because how were you feeling at that time? Connotation. I was, I was anxious, depressed. I was suicidal. I was self-harming. I was going through the dark night of the soul for years while smiling and waving at people on a red carpet and trying to uphold this image that I was taught that this is, this is it. You made it. This is the thing. You should be happy. I had imposter syndrome and felt like a fraud. It was, it was a whole world of hurt. And, and the interesting thing about this journey, and, and I say it was rebellious, but I think it was beautiful because the truth is to believe something without ever questioning it. Mm. means it's not your belief at all. Right. It means that you are a slave. You and mm. I fight modern day slavery. That's what we do. We fight human trafficking. We fight the enslavement of individuals. I was enslaved as a child to a belief system that my parents didn't even understand, that their parents didn't even understand. And the community that was teaching it certainly didn't understand it because they were butchering and bastardizing it as they went. So, so rebellion maybe. I think I actually did exactly what you're supposed to do. I was the but why kid. I said, but why? And I got in trouble for it because apparently it's blasphemous to ask why. And I think that that's another thing that stands out to me about any legalistic teaching of a beautiful religion that doesn't have to be religious. Okay, and I just I just want to identify a couple of the key terms that you're saying here. You're using the word religious and legalistic, and we're juxtaposing legalistic versus intuitive or religious practical versus spiritual and religious versus spiritual. Right. Yeah, and so it's it's the idea that when something's written, you prioritize that which is written, the letter of the law over the spirit of the law, to use biblical terminology. The example that comes to mind is when Jesus in the New Testament broke the Sabbath and they were like, bro, you can't perform miracles on the Sabbath. That's working on the Sabbath. You can't do that. And his response was, no, don't you get it? The Sabbath was made for us so we could take a break. We weren't made to obey the Sabbath. So the idea here, just for people to understand, you keep using the term legalistic. It's It's taking the spirit out of the laws and making it about following the laws at any cost. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you, Ben. I'm going to use that in my, in, in my language now. I appreciate that so much because it is, and it's, it's also this, you know, for me personally, it's spirituality is a personal relationship with the divine. Yes. However you describe that, however you experience that, however you live that out, it is yours and yours alone. It it is defined by you and the divine in communion with one another. Mm -hmm. And it is not to be judged. It is sacred and it is sanctified and it is absolutely beautiful. And Mm -hmm. I am so grateful to have come from 
a, a, as you said, and uh, um, so beautifully, a law without the spirit, law absent spirit mentality as a child to this place where I realized and I never blamed the deity. I never blamed the divine Mm -hmm. for this misconception. I knew it was human. I knew it was this fallible concept. And, And just to kind of put it in layman's terms even more so, to be in the legalistic state of mind is to re- retain the human belief that you have to perform in order to be loved. Mm-hmm. If you need to follow laws in a rigid rule-based, rule-oriented dynamic, it is because you have bought in to what we've been selling you. You drank the Kool-Aid and it's not even your fault, but you believe that if you're good enough, you'll be loved. And until you are, you won't be. And this is absolutely antithetical to all that is God, that is love, that is the teachings of anything. If you look at any religion, if you look at any teaching, any prophet from the ancient civilizations to now and everywhere in between, when you are looking at what the spirit of the teachings represent, you are looking at unconditional agape love on all accounts in all aspects of all Mm -hmm. it is only unconditional love you cannot earn it you cannot ever perform enough be good enough do enough because you already are just as you exist now you matter because you exist this journey that that i went from my little quote-unquote rebellion was a journey towards authenticity it was a journey Mm -hmm. towards myself it was a journey home my mm-hmm. real home, a home where I feel safe inside my body. I feel loved inside my body. I feel like I matter and I'm worthy because I exist. I had to go into the world of Hollywood. I had to play roles that were so not okay or in alignment with the dogma and the legalism and, and the beliefs. But again, if you look at Yeshua, I, I say call Jesus Yeshua. It's just my, right. it's like my connection to the divine is in, in using certain names and terminology. But mm-hmm. Yeshua, went into the temple screaming, yelling, and turning over tables. You def- you're literally defiling this holy space, this sacred space, this temple. Why are you doing this? He he had dinner with with prostituted women and harlots and tax collectors and all the bad people because we put labels like bad and good on things. And Yeshua said, no, I don't do that. He knelt in the sand, drew with his finger and in the dirt and said, whoever be without sin, cast the first stone at this woman that you want to literally prove you are better than and have the right to be judged during an executioner over. And this, this being who came here to bring light, to be the way, the truth, and the light, to represent to us an, a pathway forward, a pathway to the divine, a pathway home. We took to- his writings and took all of it and distorted it. And that that right. I had to get through to come all the way back to the space that I'm in. So I have to ask you, was there a moment that you would identify as uh, your spiritual awakening? Was there, there a particular moment? 
are several. Most of them are on my bathroom floor. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of tears later. I love the memes on Instagram that are like, what we think a spiritual awakening is that someone like sitting in the lotus position saying, um, money, padmaham. And they're like, what it really looks like. And it's like mascara running down your face, scream, crying, like, am I crazy? (laughs) (laughs) So there were, there were definitely a few moments. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that in hindsight, and it's it's always what hindsight is twenty twenty what they is what they say. I had several very specific moments that when you string them together, they were clearly all it was a through line, mm-hmm. and, and they were all in in the single line leading me towards coming into the awareness of myself and realizing myself, which is really what for me a spiritual waking is. It's realization of the self in its oneness and its unified state with all beings and all I think beings. I think that you're saying something really important right now that I want to emphasize and it's um, it was sort of like a trick question that I just asked because I know oh, okay. that there wasn't one I know that there wasn't one moment you yeah. know because uh, I've known you for so long and you know we often hear people say things like well when I had my spiritual awakening blah 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 and it was like, well, maybe there were, for many people, there are specific moments where their lives really changed and their behavior really changed. But when we really start to dig a little bit deeper, that wasn't the first one. That may have been a big one. That may have been a really crucial climax. But if you really look through the timeline of your entire life, they were all over the place. Little awakenings, gradual awakenings, like you They're said. They're like pre-shocks before the big earthquake, you know. Right. <laughs> before it's all earth shattering. There, there, right. there you got little rumbles and you have rumbles afterwards. I had another one last week. I had one this morning. I had through one three weeks ago. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm awakening right now. I'm probably having an awakening right now as we speak. It's it's a lifelong journey of awakening to realization of self. And to me, I didn't understand the, that verbiage for a long time. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the words that are used in this language of the spiritual journey, the words are a little like, what? Sometimes, and I appreciate right. you taking a moment to give context for them. And one of them for me was definitely like, realizing the self. I'm like, I know who I am. What are you talking about? Like, I don't right. know. What do you mean realizing myself? I like, I realize that I am myself. Okay. We're good. <laughs> Moving on. Can we go get Check. lunch? Next. Check. Yeah. <laughs> next. The that one was easy. What's the next self. one? That was so easy. Like, I don't know why they make this so difficult. This is super simple. <laughs> I already did but that as, one. Totally. Yeah. Uh, but as I, as I've come to understand it in, in very recent months, and then I would say in 2021, has been a whole new Annalyn every three weeks. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know who I was three weeks ago. I won't know who I am two and a half weeks from now. Like it's like it's been happening consistently. Like every three to four weeks, the new moon comes in and I'm just screwed, you know, in a in the most amazing way possible. So I became a Reiki practitioner this year, as you know. Congratulations. To do Reiki, yay. Um, I really did it just for my own personal experience and to be able to be in control and authority over my own energy and Mm -hmm. uh, learning more and more about that. And the quantum has been really an incredible deep dive for me. But in that process, we talk about realizing, being realized by the universe. So one of the practices is to clear our field and we say, I invite universal light through me that I may be realized. 
And I was talking to my teacher and I'm like, what do you mean by realize? Like, by the, does the sentence end there? Like, it feels like it needs more to the sentence, you know, realized by what or for what, or, you know, what is the objective here? And she explained to me that unity consciousness and, and, and being realized are very similar and not mm-hmm. quite the same. But if you break me down or my couch here or this microphone or anything, if you break it down, you're going to get to molecules and atoms and subatomic particles. And then you're going to get to something that recent discoveries have come to realize, which is fragments of light. Mm-hmm. At the smallest, most base level of the creation process, right? If you're to create mm-hmm. me, I have to start from fragments of light. To be realized in the universe, to be realized by myself and by my existence is to know my own light. Mm-hmm. And on a tangible level and on a spiritual, emotional, mental, every level. To be realized is to see and know and experience my own light. Mm-hmm. And I can I take it that. all the way back to fragments of light, like little threads of light that wove together to make little aniline subatomic particle that turned into her <laughs> atom that turned into her molecule. But I'm fragments of light and, right. and I've been woven together by light. I am light. And I thought I was so dark and so damaged and so tainted. I was sexually abused for years as a child. And Mm -hmm. I thought that made me dirty and disgusting Mm -hmm. and unworthy of love and and not in the light. And yet here I am fully of the light, Mm -hmm. not even knowing that's what I'm made of. I'm made of fragments of light. So to realize me was to see my own light. I love that. This has been a deep, profound healing journey for you. And I know that uh, you've been very public about a lot of different aspects of that healing journey, even dissociation, depression, anxiety, outbursts, suicidal ideation, just the worst of the worst, things that take people out, things that take out the, the best of us, you know, and um, it's that that continuing healing journey that you've been on that helps you make it through another day. Something that you said about becoming a Reiki healer was gaining authority over your own energy. And I think that that was really important, especially in the context of what you shared about your childhood religion. I was also raised in a really conservative religious household. I think a lot of people were, whether it's Christian or another religion, you know, religion itself has a dogma and doctrine and uh, so we're sort of entrained in it. And it's not, it's not just religion. It's all of culture. They, we sort of talk about the old age and the new age, the separative, tribalistic era, the colonizer era versus the global era. And in that old era, it's a lot of indoctrination. And so well, what even, we're- Even just being trained to be a, for, you know, performance-based love is your form of love. That's an indoctrination. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so what I'm seeing is, and this really crucial idea around gaining authority of your own energy. You you said uh, that in a way you were a slave to to beliefs that weren't even yours. When you're believing something that's not yours, that you don't have a connection to, you're a slave of the psyche. Your psyche's been enslaved. It's been hijacked. I guess you could say. And so it's a great way because you have little to no conscious awareness of it typically. 
It's happened right. like a little, my Reiki teacher tells me it's the drip, drip, drip. It, it, it doesn't come in like a flood. It's, it fills your whole house with this dripping, constant dripping until you're drowning in it. So right. it's the drip, drip, drip. There's a book called The Mature Mind by Harry Overstreet and um, highly recommend it. And he says, you know, the, just, just as we breathe in the same air particles of the atmosphere, the same atmospheric content, uh, we breathe in the psychological perspective mm-hmm. of the culture that we're in. And so, you know, just like a fish swimming through the water, what water? It's, it's all that's there, you know, so there's so much nuance there's so much nuance to what we believe. And I want to go back a little bit. I would like to invite you to share a little bit about how your psyche protected you through dissociation and, and how you came to receive the integration of repressed memories. Yeah. So thank you, first of all, for highlighting that. It is something that I think is very relevant to any and all journeys, we all experience a form of fragmentation. We all experience a form of disassociation. The fragmentation that all psychotherapists will recognize is at any given moment, we're playing the child, the wounded child, the adult, or the parent in our day-to-day interactions with ourselves and others. So we take on these roles. Those are those are actually fragmented versions of ourselves, and they can be integrated with the right healing modalities, the right forms of care, whatever speaks to you. I've used pretty much every single one of them. Feel free to contact me and I'll let you know which ones work for me. Um, <laughs> but, but I experienced it on, as my doctor would say, a very severe level due to the nature of my trauma. I experienced it. I experienced sexual abuse of a very sadistic nature and it was so torturous of my body that my mind said, this is too much for the body. It desensitized my sense of touch. So my doctor said she'd never in her entire practice and all of her years of being a doctor, she had never seen someone with skin sensitivity as low as mine. And she attributed that to the fact that my brain said, when interaction with human beings, especially ones that quote unquote, you know, I'm supposed to trust or look up to because the big people did bad things. The people that I love harm me. My body needs to just not have the same pain messages sent to those areas of the body as a neurotypical person because it's too much. It's too much for this little being. So my brain in its kindness (laughs) and, and with so much grace for me blocked everything out Mm -hmm. 31 years of my life. I lived with a story that I thought was my life story. And in August of 2018, three years ago, last week, actually, I had memories return of childhood sexual abuse. And it was, it was one of those things. And if you, if we're talking about modern spirituality and we're looking at this from a spiritual aspect, I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful (laughs) for the journey that I've been on. If I didn't have what happened to me, happened to me, I would not care about the things I care about. And I so deeply care about them. They have brought infinite amounts of meaning to my existence on earth. So I regret nothing. 
Mm-hmm. And I want to say that because I'm speaking only for myself. Obviously, if I was an adult woman in the age of my child self, and I knew that little child, that little child would have been saved because I would have right. been like, Mama Anna's coming in, right. right? And so what I see here is such a crucial thing. I just want to like address that idea. It's gratitude for having been able to alchemize that which took place. It's not gratitude for that which took place. You know, it's gratitude for the raw power that you were able to then transmute into something good. We're not saying what a blessing it is that you were traumatized. We're not saying what a blessing it is that, that anything negative happened to anyone. We want to protect the children. There's other lessons that can be learned. (laughs) Yeah. We protect the children. Yeah. And so there's, there's other lessons that a psyche learns when they're protected. There's something else that they can learn, you know? So I, re- I recently um, had a conversation with someone who had someone on their podcast and they said, I'm so grateful that I was molested. Uh, what an amazing experience. And it's like, no, it's <laughs> oh, not no. that. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's not that that was an amazing experience. It's what I'm grateful for is that, you know, the universe, God, the spirit protected me. My psyche protected me in that moment and I survived it. I'm grateful for my my support system that manifested, whether in the spirit world or in the physical world, that manifested to turn that pain into strength and power. Into strength and power. And I and I, you know, I do resonate with because at a certain point I did an Oxford talk um, at Oxford College in in England back in 2017. And I am on record saying I'm grateful that I was raped because it led me to this thing. And I think that what I meant by it is not unlike what you're saying. I always clarify if in the moment we could save this person, we do that. But right. as the as Ramana Maharishi says, everything is as it should be. The fact that I fight it happening to other people is as it should be because everything is as it should be. Right. So in every moment, there's an opportunity for someone to step in and save that child. Right. And that would be how it is supposed to be. Right. If, if someone doesn't and they're able to alchemize it and turn it into something profound where they go on to fight this issue, like my story, it is as it should be. We, talk, mm-hmm. we started this conversation talking about reincarnation. I also subscribe to the belief that we have a little bit of a role in choosing some of the things we, mm, we, we go through in this life. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that, and I say it because it empowered me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fully fine with anything I believe being not true or not quote unquote real. All I know is how it makes me feel. And mm-hmm. I have felt weak for so many, many moments in my life for years and years and years. And I was covering that with being this tough chick who wore leather and spikes and could feel no pain. And I thought that made me a badass. And I was proud of the fact that I had this high tolerance for pain. And I speak very candidly about the fact that pain, you should ask yourself why. Why do you have a high tolerance for pain? It is, you don't win awards for it. It actually is something's wrong because pain is there to let us know that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I had all those defense mechanisms and, and I, it was because I felt so weak. The toughest of us tend to be the, the ones who feel so weak. I am strong and I am a pillar of light now mm-hmm. because 
of empowering moments in my healing process. And one moment where I learned that there was a teaching in reincarnation that we have a, we play a role as a spirit soul in choosing things that happen to us so that we learn greater, greater things in our human life. And yeah, for the progression things for the progression of our souls mm-hmm. and whether that's true or not, I don't care. I honor it and I believe in it. And it makes me feel so good. And in that moment when I really needed to hear it, it came through and mm-hmm. it empowered me in a way that I can't describe. And again, it's not to speak on behalf of anybody else's journey, but for me in that moment, those words rang true. I do believe that it is the alchemical journey that followed and that has been a major part of my healing journey right. or process, like you said. It's actually really what I'm grateful for mm-hmm. and what I deeply appreciate. So, so it's, it's a, it's, you know, it's dancing with those narratives. Right. And it's highly controversial, you know, because uh, like you said, when it comes to like the practical day to day reality, we're interventionists. If something's going on, we're shutting that down. You know, mm-hmm. when I think about young Anna Lynn, I'm like, not cool that that happened to you. Yeah, you know, anyway. yeah. and um, and it brings up a lot of energy from inside me, and it just it just helps me also witness your power and your strength for having survived it, for being more than more than a survivor, but for being an alchemist, for being able to turn it into stopping it from happening for other people. Passion. The passion that you have in the anti-human trafficking work. I want to address something. We're talking about the past right now. And one of the definitions for forgiveness that has always resonated for me is forgiveness is letting go of a past expectation. Forgiveness is letting go of trying to change that which has already taken place. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer trying to change what's already happened. I love that. There's a quote that is in that same vein, and I mm-hmm. it's actually I love how you know our our energetic alignment. I love it. It's same same same, but not the same. And Dr. Dan Siegel in his book says he's a neuroscientist that I love. He says forgiveness is giving up all hope that the past can ever be changed, mm-hmm. and that I think that's a big thing. Is that when I was going through my memories, I did there were moments where I. I didn't want this to be true. I didn't want this to be my story. I was like, I fight sexualized violence against children. This is not my story. This didn't happen to me. This, this, no, no. And in forgiveness of the situation and of what happened, I gave up hope that that could be changed. And now I have a, I have a huge world in front of me to look forward to because mm-hmm. I'm no longer looking backward. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. So Forgiveness was a huge part of that process for you. Huge. So you created something called the Love Storm, where you were leading people in uh, essentially a Buddhist technique of meditation called Meta Meditation, loving kindness meditation, and um, and you were there uh, with me helping me lead. <laughs> We were storming two of 22 events that we were meant to do before COVID shut us down. Yeah. And then COVID didn't need us to do it. We did it in LA. We did it in New York. And then COVID was like, wow, you literally stormed the entire planet. <laughs> I just want to hear a little bit about, about that forgiveness process. Yeah. So I appreciate you highlighting that. Yes. The love storm became the amalgamation of 
this fight I had been involved in to end human trafficking and sexualized violence against women and children and, and men too. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. When my memories came back, suddenly it was my storm and I was in the throes of tumultuous waves being tossed to and fro and how I was going to alchemize that, how I was going to embark on that alchemical journey that we've talked about. There was no pathway for me. I I didn't have in my conservative upbringing, I experienced what I felt like was hypocrisy. I didn't, I had a lot of science that said my brain is helped when I do gratitude acts and, uh, you know, practices and acts of kindness and mindfulness and meditation. But I didn't have a, I didn't have a North star. My girls and this fight to human trafficking was my North star, but now I was sinking in the waters alongside all of those victimized because I was a victim myself and I needed to survive. And the way out of that was only going to be found through a practice that would transform and transmute that storm into something greater than a storm. And what greater than a storm than a love storm? <laughs> it was like, I was like, it's gotta be ferocious, this campaign. Cause I was like, my love like has spikes on it. You know, it's intense. Yeah. I'll punch you in the face with my love. Um, <laughs> but, but I had found the meta meditation practice in my many, many searching moments in every book and every lecture and everything that I had tried to get my hands on to help myself through the years. and. I started doing it pretty, (laughs) I had quite a bit of devotion for someone who wasn't religious or devout. And I started practicing the meta and it offers loving kindness to yourself first. And then you take in the, into your mind's eye, someone that you just, Oh my God, the second you think of them, you just immediately are just like, I love this person. I'm going to grab them and squeeze them. And that energy is just fills you up with, and you offer this offering. May they be happy. May they be at peace. May they be free from suffering. So you've offered that to yourself and you've offered it to someone that you love. And now you're overflowing with this bubbly, yummy, lovey vibe. And then it's like, Oh, and okay, next. Think about someone you don't love who's been mean to you, who you probably aren't talking to and send that love to them. And you're like, ew, no, why would I do that? I want them to suffer for a very long time. I want it to be the, the most painful suffering where happiness can never be derived from a moment of their existence. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> that's going to be reflected back to you. So enjoy. Um, and all at one moment, I remember I was like, I was getting this nudge and I was like, no, no. Stop nudging me. Stop nudging me, divine thing that uses coming into my brain and telling me things. And it was like, send this. I was in the middle of the practice and I was thinking of someone that I didn't care so much for. I was trying to find that person. I was like, actually, I'm kind of fine with most people. And they're like, but that one, I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. (laughs) And I just, it just kept going back to the person who sexually abused me for years and years and years as a child. And I was like, I don't want to give him love. Ew. And my mind is so kind. It's protected me for 31 years. It was like, I can help you out here. And it just popped out of the adult man in my mind of this, this perpetrator. It popped out of him, the eight-year-old version of him. Mm. And in my mind's eye, I was now looking at 
the man who was the monster, but the little boy that he was before he ever, ever would have harmed anybody. Mm. And I was like, okay, fine. I can send happiness and peace to a little boy, but I'm not doing it to the man. And in the process of this journey, the emotions that you can imagine were so Mm -hmm. overwhelming and piece by piece and offering it to the boy, I started to be able to offer it to the man and the compassion that just overwhelmed my system and sent me into one of the most profoundly high vibrational moments of my life gave birth to the love storm. And at the love storm, we invite you to come. If you have an interest in fighting human trafficking and modern day slavery with us, we're so grateful and so happy to have you. If all you ever do is find compassion within yourself for yourself, for someone that maybe you don't care so much about, and you break the chains of slavery inside your own mind due to drinking the Kool-Aid of this society and the entrainment of this culture and these, these dogmas and, and these belief systems that maybe aren't serving you. Maybe you never would have believed in them to begin with. You have no attachment to them. And you go home and you end slavery in your own physical body as that home and in the home you live in and the people around you. And, and you start a personal little movement in your own life. I'm totally happy with that. I am so Mm -hmm. fine with that. If you come on board and you fight this issue and we help free 48 million slaves in the world, I am stoked about that too. But both of them are just as important. And and that's what the love storm has become about. And and yeah, it's, you know, it's a it's a movement that I will be involved in for the rest of my life. That's incredible. You know, the uh, they say that we're in the middle of a global spiritual awakening. And, um, and it has to awaken in our hearts before it it has to change our lives before it can change the world, you know? And so you're a perfect example of that. I want to just ask in closing, I can't believe time has flown by. We have to have you on. We're out of time. Oh, yeah. This will be part one. <laughs> part one of, of at least a dozen more. So I want to just hear, thank you so much for sharing all of these things and being so intimate and candid. And thank you so much for sharing your your outline of the, of the Meta Loving Kindness Meditation. Just so everyone knows, that is scientifically proven to change the brain. It does rebalance the, the hormones and chemicals in your system. It changes changes everything. Super powerful. And from a metaphysical perspective, the greatest metaphysical law is the interconnection of all things. All things are joined. All things are connected. And so when we change the way we feel about something in our hearts, something does change. To use Marianne Williamson's language, uh, if you pray for someone that you don't like, either they will change or you won't care anymore. Or you won't care anymore. (laughs) So true. I love her. Uh, So true. So there's one more thing that I just felt like I had to just get from you a little dose. You know, you're someone that I really consider a modern day bodhisattva. You're really, truly uh, not what the old traditions would, would consider on the surface of what a prophet or a saint or a sage would look like, but really the amount that you have recalibrated and healed and the commitment that you have to continuously going deeper within your own heart and using your platform and your resources and opportunities to serve living beings. You're 100% a saint in my book. You're a sage in my book. And and I just want to get your prophetic transmission, your vision 
uh, for the future. You know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. We're experiencing the fulfillment of so many of these prophecies, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famine, climate change, climate disaster, really. What do you see as the light at the end of the tunnel? What's your vision? I love this question. And I can definitely say I've never been asked this question on any podcast ever. <laughs> and I've done a few. But I, I'll say, how how often is our body plagued with pestilence and apocalyptic things where we put ourselves, our this is my world, right? This body that I'm in is my world. If I change this world, I change the world outside myself. That's what you were just saying before this question. How how many times has this body been racked by apocalyptic end of the world times? I used to believe that something was the end of the world when I was going through it because my nervous system was all out of whack and all just destroyed. When my nervous system is calm, I can take on anything in the outer world because my world is okay. Perhaps these times of revelation have a little bit more to do with our individual worlds as we collectively conjoin in this collective world. And we're so racked by pestilence and, and famines and climate change in our minds and our moods and, our, and we're battling within ourselves with ourselves. Perhaps we are actually the, the apocalyptic time lived out in the individual experience. And so many of us are going through it right now that it is apocalyptic in its manifestation outside of us. Perhaps if we cultivated silence and stillness and calmed our waters within ourselves, a new heaven and a new earth in this earth would be possible. It's a perhaps, it's a hypothesis, <laughs> it's a hypothetical, but it could actually be a thing. And I think that we need, we're so focused outside of ourselves that we need the world to literally be ending before we will take notice, before wow. we will look inside ourselves. COVID-19 mm -hmm. made everybody go within. We had mm -hmm. to stay inside. And what we need to do is go inside. We need to go within and we need to look at what we are projecting outside of ourselves because it is reflected back to us in everything we see, in everything we do, in everything we hear, in everything we say, in everything we experience. So is the apocalypse happening outside you or is it happening inside of you? That's the bigger question for me. Mm -hmm. And if we answer that and we respond to that, we have the opportunity to bring down heaven on earth. Love that. And I know what the scientists say, but I don't think it's too late. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's so, it's so powerful. I love everything that you just shared. Thank you so much for that. The shift that you just provided is you removed the sense of an enemy that's being fought. And you made this not a big battle that we're fighting. It's not the final war. It's a healing to take it's place. Yeah. It's a healing. And the healing does have to happen individually if it's going to happen collectively. Absolutely. Annalyn McCord, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Annalyn. If anybody wants to join Ben and my Love Storm movement, because <laughs> he mm -hmm. is a founding member, thelovestorm.com 
just click the button, join the movement, and you can see how you can get involved when we do begin traveling to cities again. You can host an event in your town. You can be mm-hmm. a part of calling together that unity consciousness in tangible form and bring humans to the event, whatever you would like to do. Or if you'd just like to be notified when things are mm-hmm. coming to your town, there's all those opportunities to sign up and we yeah. will not spam you or sell your data to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been doing virtual events as well. So yes. uh, we we're lo- doing virtual events for sure. Yeah. A lot of people will be able to participate. So thank you, Annalyn. I love you. Thank you, my love. We'll do I that more. Too. Yes, please. <laughs> Every year, at least once a year, I lead a wellness retreat in Costa Rica at the beautiful Rhythmia Life Advancement Center, the first ever medically licensed resort to offer ayahuasca plant medicine. This very well could be the best place in the entire world to experience plant medicine. Everything is expertly tailored to your comfort to help provide you with the best possible transformational experience. I always look forward to my retreats every year. It really is a deeply profound experience. It's like stepping into some kind of a heaven dimension for a week. There are daily yoga and meditation classes, plant medicine preparation and integration workshops, a great spa with volcanic mud baths, state-of-the-art fitness facility, super relaxing pool, hot tub, cool plunge, cozy cabanas, And you can get colonics, there's delicious organic food at the restaurant, and some of the best massage therapists I've ever experienced, for real. They are absolute healers over there. And all of this is included. Like I said, this is a medically licensed facility, so everything is medically overseen and totally safe. And the medicine ceremonies, which happen for four nights, Monday through Thursday, they're led by loving, respectful shamans trained in the Colombian tradition. It's really, really an amazing experience. Uh, visit rhythmia.link slash Decker event. That's R-Y-T-H-M-I-A, rhythmia.link, L-I-N-K, slash Decker event, D-E-C-K-E-R, my last name, event, E-V-E-N-T. And check in about my upcoming dates, or if those dates don't work for you and you won't be able to join me there, go ahead and book when it's convenient for you and see one of the many other world-renowned thought leaders in residence. Make sure to let them know that you are my friend, that you're a friend of Ben Decker, so that they give you the best deal possible. Rhythmia really is my home away from home, and I know that you will love it as much as I do. Hey, it's Ben Decker, and I just have to thank you again for listening to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. For information on anything mentioned here, you can check out the show notes below. You can also get in touch with me via twitter.com slash bendecker, instagram.com slash Benjamin W. Decker, or email me at bendecker at modernspiritualitypodcast.com. It really does mean so much to me that you're here with me on the modern spirituality journey. I'm genuinely super excited about what I've got planned for these next few episodes. So really make sure to subscribe to the Modern Spirituality Podcast so you can get in on what I've got coming up. And if this is resonating for you, if anything here helped or inspired or entertained you at all, please, please do rate this podcast. 
and leave me a review. It means so much more than you might realize. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again.